Welcome back to Politically Speaking, Holyrood Magazine's weekly podcast, where you'll get the real rundown of what's going on in Scottish politics. We have the interviews, the gossip, and sometimes the laughs. So please join us. And remember, when anyone tells you they're not interested in politics, you tell them you know a podcast that can help them out with that. And you can also rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. So enjoy. On the 9th of February 1970, the then Secretary of State for Employment, Barbara Castle, got to her feet in the House of Commons and made history when she said, There can be no doubt that this afternoon we are witnessing another historic advance in the struggle against discrimination in our society, this time against discrimination on the grounds of sex. Castle was introducing the Equal Pay Act legislation to Westminster for its second reading. It was a watershed moment in the fight for gender equality in the UK. In introducing this bill, she said, I hope there will be no difference between the two sides of the House about the principle. We intend to make equal pay for equal work a reality and, in doing so, to take women workers progressively out of the sweated labour class. Just weeks later, on the 28th of February 1970, 560 people gathered in Oxford for a conference on women's liberation. It was the first national meeting of the women who'd been forming the women's liberation movement around Britain in the previous year. Their demands included equal pay, equal education and job opportunities, free contraception, abortion on demand and free 24-hour nurseries. However, 50 years on, and with the pandemic only exacerbating the issues of inequality, the pay gap between men and women in Scotland is widening, and many of those demands made half a century ago are still outstanding. Indeed, in 2019, the gender pay gap for full-time workers in Scotland actually increased from 5.6% to 7.1%. Last year, the UK gap also increased from 8.6% to 8.9%. Female workers in Scotland are concentrated into a small number of jobs and sectors, with women making up 80% of administrative and secretarial roles, more than 90% of childcare and early years educators, and 77% of NHS Scotland's workforce. Meanwhile, only 4% of chief executives at Scotland's top businesses are women, and there are no female FTSE 100 index chief executives at all, according to Engender's Sex and Power in Scotland 2020 report. The report found, quoting, not enough change is happening and not quickly enough to redress the gender imbalance in Scotland's corridors of power. Well, this week, as women across the world took a moment to celebrate International Women's Day, the Holyrood podcast revisits some of the issues that we highlighted this time last year on not only the 50th anniversary of the Equal Pay Act, but also of the birth of the women's liberation movement itself. We also used that anniversary year to speak to Scottish women who were marking their 50th year on this planet. And they happened to include the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, whose own 50th birthday in July was really lost in the middle of her dealing with the pandemic. But she told me then, I'm sure that I'm no different from other women, sometimes thinking, A, how did I get to be 50? And B, how did I get to be here in this position, being the adult in the room, having to make the difficult decisions? Well, this is not an easy time for the First Minister to be the adult in any room. And with research suggesting women are twice as likely to lose their jobs because of the consequences of this pandemic, with so many women involved in the care sector and women taking a disproportionate burden for homeschooling and childcare, 
This is undoubtedly a very difficult time to be a woman at all. Today, we're joined by women who have skin in this game. Angela Constance, the SNP MSP and recently appointed Minister for Drugs Policy, and Rachel Hamilton, the Scottish Conservative MSP. They both turned 50 last year. And we also have Jackie Liper from Scottish Widows, who is chair of the Money and Pension Services Gender and Wellbeing Challenge Group. So lots to talk about. So Rachel, I think the really interesting thing about us doing the 50 women at 50 little profiles of, of all of the women that were reaching 50, like yourself, um, was the unpredictability of life and how we can't always plan for the unexpected. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, I spoke about uh, the marriage breakup that I went through and I spent years on a, a very precarious uh, financial tightrope supporting two small children. I had to give up quite a well-paid job to care for the girls. And I also ate into my savings uh, to you know, fund my living. And I found myself at times scratching around, I suppose, to pay for basic things such as uh, heating and food shopping. And I, I, I feel as though I experienced uh, a time that I should have reached out and asked for help, but I didn't. I didn't want to admit defeat, and I didn't um, feel as though I wanted to dent my pride. And I, you know, I didn't even turn to my family. And I feel that I should have done looking back. Um, and I think that if I was giving anyone advice now, it would be certainly to to reach out for help. And I think as we have experienced uh, the COVID pandemic and having worked with people who are in, again, a financially precarious situation, they have very much reached out. I think people have worked much more tightly together. We have supported each other. There, there have been third sector organisations and charities out there who have um, reached out to individuals, particularly vulnerable people, uh, in their hour of need. And I, and I think that, you know, if there's anything good coming out about the pandem pandemic, it is this, is that, you know, we've been able to, to work together to forge a better resilience. It's interesting that, isn't it? We've all been in something together, whereas you felt quite isolated and felt you couldn't reach out when you were going through difficulties. Yes, I, I, I did feel isolated. I, I didn't really know where to turn. I mean, Nowadays, you could go to Citizens Advice Scotland um, or other organisations. Um, however, I did also have that sense of uh, I wanted to be independent. I didn't want to be a failure. And I mean, all this from growing up in a, in a quite a strict financial environment where my mother held the purse strings. She still does the farm books for my uh, father. And, you know, I... I shouldn't have been like that. Um, when I actually left university, I was very much encouraged by my father to buy a property. So I bought a house when I was 24. And I think that's, you know, a, a pretty big thing. I also took out a pension. And this was all due to my parents encouraging me to be financially secure. When I was 21, they said to me, you know, um, as soon as you get your first job, you know, we won't be supporting you anymore. And it kind of scared me at the time, but they also uh, helped me. They, they, they helped me along my way in terms of giving me advice. I, I felt hugely empowered by that. And if it wasn't for their support at that time, in terms of their advice, 
I would not have been able to use the savings that I did when I came across a little bit of financial security later in my life and having then had the ability to sell the house um, to kind of fund what I had to and look after the children whilst I took a break from my career. No, Jackie, that's quite interesting, isn't it? That I think potentially Rachel might have been in a better position than many women are at that age. Absolutely. So, you know, what what we see really as a trend is that um, younger women in particular tend not to be thinking about preparing for the long term um, in terms of savings, pensions, you know, even saving for that first house. And to be honest, young men too, but young men more so for some reason. Um, and, and I think actually the best time that you can create some savings is when you start your first job. Uh, because you generally are still at home, you might not have uh, moved out and uh, taken on a mortgage, uh, and you've got affordable income. And of course, things like long-term savings uh, accumulate over a long period of time. So that small amount that you did in your 20s can be worth really loads much later on, which is really what, what you're saying, Rachel, you know, about some of those investments that you made in your house then really helped you later on. You had something to fall back on. Uh, so some of the research we do would say that, you know, one in five don't have any savings at all. Um, and that rises to a much higher amount when you get into women uh, under the age of 30. So that's definitely one of our campaigns. How can we encourage people to get into those savings habits much earlier? And actually for women that will maybe want to take time out to have a family at some point, even if they don't know that in their 20s, actually by saving more in their 20s, it probably will give them the, the buffer to allow them to step out. Uh, to to take time out of the workplace to care for children. I mean, the thing is, when you're in your 20s and you've got your first job, the first thought is not, oh, I I might end up getting divorced. I might end up (laughs) having children. I might end up being old. I mean, you don't even think these things are going to happen. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I thought there was an interesting thing there, Rachel, around your parents being the ones to sort of push you. Um, And there's definitely a big point there around, uh, you know, children that are pointed by their parents to develop good financial habits. And that's everything from just actually managing your money, you know, creating a budget, making sure that you can live within your budget. Some of those, uh, even if they feel small, some of those savings habits uh, to create a short-term buffer. You know, when you start your first job, nowadays you'll be automatically enrolled into a pension. So that's a big change from when we were all starting our first jobs. Uh, And I do think that's a huge positive that for young people, uh, without you having to make an active choice, actually you're getting nudged into it. You're going to go into a pension scheme. Your employer is going to pay into that as well as your contribution. Uh, and whilst I would like to see that level of contribution come up a little bit, uh, it, it, nonetheless, I think it gets you started. Angela, I was just thinking back to when we did the original interviews for the 50 Women at 50 and just how quickly everything happens that, you know, you're starting your career in your 20s, you're not really thinking about the future perhaps in your 30s and then your 40s and 50s come along and suddenly perhaps you do start worrying a little bit about financial security and just what happens. Did you find that? Well, I suppose uh, you're right about the, the passage of time, Mandy. Um, it doesn't seem that long ago that I was um, in my 20s and ignoring all sorts of advice about how it's never too early to pa- you know, plan for your pension. Um, and when I was a, a university student, um, there was you know big efforts made at the time to get students, uh, even then, whilst they were still studying, to, to plan for their pension. Um, and it was advice that I ignored, oh, 
you know, uh, certainly when I was a student, certainly when I first graduated um, and probably didn't, you know, take things like pension advice seriously until I was in my, my, my third job post post graduation. Um, but of course, my, my position is, is, is fortunate, um, you know, that I do have a pension, you know, I do have a well-paid job. My position uh, contrasts greatly to my own mother's position, you know, when she uh, was, you know, in her 50s. Um, she would have been doing, you know, comparatively low-paid work, um, still raising a family and the, the prospect of planning ahead uh, for a pension, uh, never mind saving for a rainy day, uh, particularly when, you know, perhaps every day felt like a rainy day to her then. Um, so her situation is very, very different um, to, to, to mine's. I suppose as someone who, uh, as my mother would say, uh, she often reminds me that I was an older mother, so I didn't have my son until I was in my late uh, 30s. Um, so although, you know, I, I'm in a financially fortunate position, you do nonetheless think about, particularly when you turn 50, think about your own mortality um, and about the arrangements that need to be put in place, you know, should the worst happen. Um, and that's always, um, I, I suppose, not always in my mind, but it's never far from my mind because my own father died um, when he was 55 and um, my youngest brothers, you know, were still at, at, at school. So, um I, I do think about, you know, planning for the future um, to ensure that should the worst happen, um, that, that my son um, will be both well cared for and provided for. Um, which, of course, brings home the reality that for many of my constituents, they're not in a position to do that. And Rachel, how have you passed on your experiences to your girls? Well, I mean, I think they're in a difficult position right now because um, clearly when I was younger, I was able to build a sort of uh, an understanding of budgeting and financial management because I had a small part time job and young people aren't able to do that right now. And, you know, we know that women tend to work in part time roles. They tend to work in jobs that are uh, in roles such as hospitality or the health sector, social care. And these some of these roles are designed to fit around family caring responsibilities or indeed, you know, uh, they're caring for their parents. So uh, at the moment, I uh, think it's very difficult for young people. I, I know that uh, obviously since the financial crash of 2008, as parents, We've also found it difficult to support them um, because we've been, you know, having to invest money into a business um, to build it back from from that financial crash. And there's been little to be able to set them on their way in terms of buying, perhaps of putting down a down payment on a property. Um, and, I, and my own daughter, she actually was working in a business uh, during the uh, pandemic and she decided for her own well-being that she'd set up her own business in uh, sport and exercise and so she has been um, through this learning curve incredible learning curve she's been working with uh, Princess Trust and she's been learning how to do uh, a balance sheet and a profit and loss account and she has been managing her money but of course young people do it so differently to to our generation because they're using apps and she's using, for example, an online bank. It's completely 
done, uh, you know, through the transactional stuff is completely done through her phone. And and that's one of the changes um, that, that we're seeing. But I, I genuinely don't think that even though I don't think we had it as, as good as our parents, the next generation, it's going to be very, very tough for. But I still think that they are going to have a good idea about budgeting and financial management because they've seen what people have gone through. They, they've understood that businesses can come under pressure and they haven't been hidden from that. Because in the past, you know, uh, our parents didn't necessarily talk about the ins and outs of um, financial pressures. I think that's really obvious when you talk about it, Rachel. If you like that financial shock that you had with the personal shock of divorce, I mean, has that had a long-lasting effect on the way that you view your financial security? Well, I, I think what's had more of a shock is COVID because, you know, my husband has his own business. I'm part of that family business. I also earn my own income and I, I found myself um, ending up taking quite a lot of the burden in terms of our um, financial outgoings. So, for example, um, in the past, we've been you know, sharing financial responsibility, but now um, I'm paying the mortgage I, I, and I you know, find it quite difficult, I have to say. I, I think that you know, we have cut a lot of our household expenditure out. We've had to be very, very careful. But what's been great is that we've all rallied together as a family. Um, of course, you know, uh, that all the kids have been at home. So, um, you know, we've shared uh, the kind of burden and we shared the responsibility. Not, I don't mean financially, but I just mean in terms of kind of um, our, our, our everyday tasks that we go about. And, and I feel that, you know, we are really very much a family um, more than we were, even though perhaps we had a little bit more income. It seems that for me, I don't have to have as much money um, because I've got a better quality of life. It's interesting, Jackie, the more people I speak to during this pandemic, they talk about things that Rachel's just talked about. There's a bit more candor in families, if you like, about hardship and I guess about our resilience in dealing with the issues that we're all dealing with. Does that bode well, do you think, for the industry that people might actually start thinking a little differently about their finances? I think it definitely does because you know, what Rachel's talking about is like music to my ears, you know, the thing that I would love to see is just more open discussions in families about money, both about hardship and, but also I think it is healthy for your children as they grow up to understand the sort of materiality, uh, you know, of, you know, what, what you're spending and, and the fact that you do need to manage uh, within your means, um, you know, and certainly I, I know when I was sort of first working, uh, going back uh, 30, you know, 30 years ago now, uh, some of my friends were quite carried away with the sort of easy credit options, you know, and I had a couple of friends that got themselves um, into a bit of difficulty. And it's really funny because my own parents um, and my mother in particular had a real thing about debt. She hated it and she was really, you know, it was really drummed into me when I was younger that you had to live within your means and, you, you know, debt was a really terrible thing. And if you couldn't afford it, you couldn't have it. Um, and 
I think that sort of because that was an open conversation in our family and because that passed on to me I I was really lucky that just is something you know I just always managed uh, my own spending based on what I could afford um, and I've pa- definitely passed that on to my own daughter who's who's 20 now um, so I think this open dialogue in families so that you can be candid about where there are challenges and the ups and downs and 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 just this sense of actually you know it shouldn't it shouldn't really be a shock now should it when you have to stand on your own two feet and that's I think our biggest challenge with our own children is that you know whilst we've probably got more affordable um income maybe uh than, than we had and you and you do want to spoil your children uh you you do want them to take personal responsibility so uh, you know I've already got my daughter's got some money she inherited when I lost my dad. It's not loads, but she's got it in an eyes or she looks at it on her app. Uh, and I think the technology element here um, is a real game changer about getting young people engaged because it's all accessible and they can see it. And, and she certainly has surprised me. You know, she loves looking at how much it's building up. <laughs> you know, and, uh... <laughs> I'm laughing, Jackie, because we did exactly the same. <laughs> I and I suppose I, that is the learning curve, isn't it? I mean, yeah, my dad also passed away a couple of years ago and there was a small amount of money to all the grandchildren. So my son, put, we put it into a nicer, which at the time, you know, he was 20 saying, this is nonsense, I don't want this happening. But like your daughter, he's now seeing the benefit of that. Those open conversations, I mean, I suppose what's amazed me all my life is how taboo financial arrangements within families are. And when Rachel talked about not um, sharing the distress of perhaps that she was feeling at one point in her life, is is that quite common, Jackie? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples where I think it sort of really manifests itself. So some of the research we do, we look at particularly the differences between men and women and why those differences exist. And of course, there are the systemic things that Rachel talked about around the sort of differences in part-time versus full-time work and women are more likely to work part-time. They're looking for jobs that are flexible um, and that takes them into sectors that are not as highly paid and so on. But one of the statistics that's always surprised me is when we do our research, 90% of women say that they fully fund the childcare. And you know, when I first read it, I thought that's that sounds horrendous. And then I thought, well, I did exactly that. You know, I'm in a relationship, or married, we've been together a very long time. But when I went back to work after my daughter, I paid all the childcare costs because suddenly, you know, I'd gone from statutory maternity pay to earning again. It just seemed like a sensible thing to do. But of course, what that does is it actually, I mean, it was a significant part of my outgoing. It was such a huge, you know, I went back full time, five days at nursery, it was a fortune. Um, so it, it actually prohibits you being able to save elsewhere. Uh, you know, it, it really, it just dominated, particularly until uh, my daughter went to school, you know, what, what I could afford. So that's definitely one of the areas. The other one that's a, a, a kind of depressing statistic is the divorce one. Uh, and as you say, when you set out, you don't expect that you're going to get divorced and all of these things. But when women come through the divorce process, uh, you know, 72% say they can't remember pensions being discussed and pensions is the second biggest asset usually after the house. So quite often women are losing out on their share of that. And actually when they do reach retirement, because they have taken time out or perhaps worked part time and so on, their, their own pension savings are much smaller uh, than their their ex-husbands. So, you know, that sort of statistic tells you that you know I, I'm really hoping if there are more conversations and there's greater awareness 
then hopefully some of these situations you can have a better conversation and even it out really between the men and women. So Angela, it does strike me that this is actually all about whether you've got any money. I mean, is financial planning or planning for the future, is that just some simply a luxury for the rich? Well, it shouldn't be. And, you know, we, we, we need to have um, the, the safety net for those who are unable to, to make plans for the future. Um, and you'll have seen, seen that in some of the work uh, done by the Scottish Government in terms of devolved social security powers and, and, and funeral payments. But I suppose that the, the broader issue is that, you know, if pay, if low pay was addressed uh, and the pay gap for, for women, and although the, the pay gap between men and women in, in Scotland is narrower than it is, you know, um, elsewhere in the UK, nonetheless, we still have a pay gap. Um, and until you address pay uh, and income, um, you will therefore not address poverty. And if you don't address poverty, you don't um, enable people uh, to plan for their own future. I mean, folk want to plan for their own future. The, you know, parents, all parents, you know, want what's best for their children. And I think all parents think about, you know, their the children's future in terms of, you know, what will happen when they're no longer here. Um, and obviously, you know, we're all working the, the, the basis, <laughs> but we'll all see our children, you know, well into adulthood and we'll see our grandchildren. But, you know, the reality is that, you know, um, life sometimes, you know, plays as a, a, a pack of cards that doesn't always fall, <laughs> fall in the way we wish. How can, at a time when people are really struggling, Jackie, how can you encourage them to then think that savings or putting something aside isn't a luxury for another day? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I mean, the way I always explain is even small amounts and getting into regular habits. So a small amount, particularly if you so if you are working and you've got a monthly uh, income you know, trying to create a small amount and then increasing that as you're able is the way to go because, you know, trying to create large amounts tends to be a step too far for a lot of people. So the best habits are created that are regular habits. One of the things we we, we are uh, sort of pondering and looking at with interest is if you look at the auto-enrollment system, which is kind of built on that small amounts coming straight off your salary and the success of that is could that be built out into other savings like sort of short-term emergency savings. So we know that Nest are running a trial scheme, which they're calling sidecar savings, and you save up to £1,000 in a little short-term account for, for real emergencies. Uh, but it uses the auto-enrollment framework. So they're, that's a test. They're running that in the sandbox with the regulator at the moment, and I am hugely interested in that. I think that's the sort of thing you could do that would really help people that feel really stretched. But actually, when you create something easy and, and something that just fits around uh, their their sort of pay cycles, uh, I think would help really create those habits. I mean, Rachel, when when we talked for the 50 at 50 magazine and you talked about that terrible moment when you were stuck in a supermarket with no money to pay for your goods at the checkout, what did that do to you? Uh, well, of course, I mean, it had a it had a huge effect on um, my confidence and my well-being. And, uh, you know, I, I was 
internally grateful for the, the the gentleman who offered to pay for the groceries and uh i i learned a lot from that day and that was you know not not that i was frivolous with money but to to really hone in on the absolute essentials and and to not waste my money um it also made me think that i when I was a little bit better off, that I would in, I would ensure that I, if anyone else was in that circumstance, that I would certainly step in uh, and, and help them. Of course, I paid the gentleman back, but I just thought it was an incredible um, moment of trust and generosity, um, paying for somebody else's uh, food. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think it really highlights that anyone can be in this situation you know you you can you can find yourself in a difficult uh, situation at any point in time you just don't know what's around the corner uh, i mean there could be bereavement there could be ill health uh, there could be a divorce you know that you, you could lose your job particularly now as we're expecting unemployment to rise but it, it's just about um I think making sure that you do try, if you possibly can, to squirrel away just a little bit for a rainy day and uh, and make sure that you don't buy things that are, are unnecessary, um, as, especially now. I mean, I keep talking about this pandemic, but we don't really have uh, any certainty so far. Of course, the vaccine has been incredibly successful. And we are seeing light at the end of the tunnel, but I do think it's going to be a little way down the line. And individuals who, particularly women, who have been disproportionately affected in those part-time roles are going to have to, you know, look at their, their financial situation very carefully. We've seen half a million people in Scotland uh, applying for universal credit. And, and I do think there are some, some good interventions where from the from the chancellor on wednesday uh, but we're going to have to ensure that you know when we look at the post recovery pandemic recovery we are going to have to put women at the heart of this and we're going to have to uh, ensure that we have policies that recognize that women have been dis disproportionately affected um by, by the pandemic yeah i mean jackie really psychologically if you like what what this has done for lots of people is given them a taste of the unpredictability of life that you can't always just assume things will go on as they were yeah i think you're absolutely right there mandy i think um, lots of people have found themselves in a situation that they haven't planned you know where they've lost their job uh they've they've maybe actually had a sort of illness or bereavement to contend with and you know we've certainly uh, seen an increase in people trying to do better financial planning. So thinking about, uh, you know, the unthinkable almost. Um, and I think the more uh, that we can encourage as a nation, actually, and whether that's policy change and, and you know, interventions by employers, actually, you know, I'm seeing a big demand from some of my employer clients trying to build out a sort of financial well-being uh, support for their employees, you know, that covers everything from debt management to savings to getting ready for buying your first house and so on. So um, I think that if we could build on one thing from this pandemic, it has to be that we've all had 
uh, a bit of a wake up call on various fronts and on the financial one it's got to be to get ourselves into a sort of better place uh, in terms of resilience and being able to withstand those shocks. A, a regular feature of um, my own surgery inquiries, although everything is now done um, on, online, is that for women, particularly if there's been a breakdown in relationships or divorce, um, how that has a significant impact on the financial resilience and well-being uh, of themselves and their children. You know, particularly um, when you know property has to be sold or assets um, separated, um, and quite often. Um, in my 14 years as a, an MSP, you know, it's not an infrequent occurrence to come across women who um, are now in a financial position that they did not, you know, an, an anticipate, uh, understandably so. So quite often, you know, you'll be working with uh, women um, who have children who, you know, had, you know, quite a nice life you know what they thought was a secure life in terms of the relationship and in terms of their financial future and then you know there's um you know a devastating break uh, in, in a relationship um and you know the, these women are now looking uh, either for accommodation because they're, they're at risk of homelessness um or you know they're seeking seeking more affordable accommodation um, so certainly, you know, divorce can have a huge impact and then layer all of the existing inequalities that women face, layer a pandemic on top of that. And, you know, the, the, the inequalities and the injustices for, for women um, become greater and the risks for women become greater. I mean, the thing is, you can't um, really plan for the unexpected, I guess, or maybe you should plan for the unexpected. But when you look back and think about your own mum and your dad dying so young, that must have turned her life upside down all, in all kinds of ways, but particularly financially. So so, so my parents divorced when I was 10. Ah. Um, so my, my dad um, had, had remarried um, and had, had had no children. Um, so, so I have, um, you know, half siblings as well. But, um, you know, I, I don't like to talk about half brothers and half sisters because I just think it's <laughs> they're know. not half people, are they? No, no, no. You know, the, 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 you know, my, my, when my dad died, um, you know, one of my brothers was only fifteen. The other one was four, going on five. Gosh. Um, and. You know, so it had a huge impact on the life of my, my stepmother, who, you know, was, was was a young woman. She was only 40 when my dad died. Um, and although, you know, saying that my own, although my parents had been divorced longer than they were ever married, um, you know, um, you know, my, my mother was gutted when my dad passed. Um, absolutely, you know, devastated as well. Um, you know, the doll was, you know, despite their difficulties, uh, there's always been a great affection for the father of her children. Uh, that's not always the case uh, with with divorced uh, couples. Um, so yeah, it, and it you know, and I was the, I'm the eldest um, of five, um, and you know, so I you know was certainly involved 
uh, in Leith Lorraine since I was in my 30s when my dad died. So I was fortunate, you know, I, I, you know, benefited from, you know, having a dad that, you know, was funny, humorous and loved his veins and, you know, liked spending time with us. Um, so but I was very involved in, you know, funeral arrangements and, you know, sorting out the things that need to be sorted out. Um, you know, when, when someone dies, particularly when someone dies unexpectedly. Um, so that always, it, it certainly formed some of my work in government when I was community secretary, because some of what we were doing then was about funeral poverty uh, and, and actually how we all need to be thinking about, um, you know, the inevitable, uh, that, that one day we all will pass and, you know, we need to think about the financial arrangements uh, that are made to, you know, a- accommodate that. Um, but the harsh reality is it is easier for some people to plan ahead than, than for others. Yeah. Rachel, when we talked um, about reaching 50, you talked about the fact that you always approach life in, uh, if you like, top speed. I think as well that it's about how fast it all comes around. You know, you talk about being 20, then 30, and then 40, and now we're 50. I mean, how do you feel just about the speed of it all? Oh, well, it's certainly uh, going like lightning at the moment. And I mean, my feet haven't touched the floor really since last March with regards to the support that um, I've given to people um, who have been in a, a, you know, a terrible situation, some of them from businesses to individuals. And so, yeah, these these years are going to keep flying by. I'm not quite sure if I've uh, had enough time to think about really where I am financially right now. Um, Obviously, we've got uh, the elections coming up and, you know, the focus is going to be on that. So, again, what I said earlier about sort of we put others, you know, in front of ourselves, I think that if we could empower women uh, to make sure that they understand that they have to have that me time, that they have to look at, you know, where what is going to happen in their future and to i suppose cushion themselves from any vulnerabilities that might happen in the future i think that is probably uh, you know what i'll be doing after the election i'll be taking stock of where i am i'll be looking um how i can indeed support my my own family uh, how we can um how i can support my husband with his business and how I can continue to support my constituents and and look at a kind of a route map of getting out of the COVID pandemic. I also um, think that we need to be looking, after speaking to Jackie, because this has been incredibly interesting, I think we need to be looking what's on offer in schools as well, in terms of money management from a young age to improve um, the financial outcomes for women in later life. I, I'm not sure if all primary schools teach the basic money money management skills, but you know, it's important that we do look at that because obviously looking at uh, bringing in more STEM subjects into uh, primary and secondary schools uh, and getting more women into those types of roles, that is something that uh, you know we could do is to is is to embed those budgeting skills and in, indeed kind of have um, parent classes uh, that from a very young age, parents can be involved in this whole financial management process. They can take their kids to the shop or they can shop online or they can get the children to put things in the basket or they can say no to something that their children want. They can say, I'm sorry, but you know that's something you'll have to save up for. And 
I mean, my youngest, she's 13. She uses the Go Henry app. I'm not sure if I should have mentioned it, but uh, um, it really is good because, you know, you can uh, you can give them 50p for unloading the dishwasher and things. So it's a bit of bribery, but it kind of works because, you know, if they want those fancy Adidas trainers, well, you know, they've got to save up for it. Yeah, Jackie, that is uh, interesting. Isn't it? it should be happening from a very early age that boys and girls are taught how to manage money. Absolutely. Um, we've been doing some uh, work with the Money and Pension Service, and this is one of the key recommendations is to improve financial education in schools. And exactly what Rachel's just outlined there, you know, how to manage money, budget. There's also something around um I think understanding, um, you know, some of the areas as you get a little bit older um, and you're, you enter your first relationship. So I'm thinking about your sort of mid-teens and whatever. Actually, that's when there's quite a high prevalence now of financial coercion. So, you know, young girls getting pressed into taking debts and loans by boyfriends. Um, and, you know, actually that's at the sort of start of quite an unhealthy relationship with with money and perhaps you know the sort of relationships you're going to have so you know one of the things we've been talking about is could that be built into that that you're starting to recognize both as a female but also as a as a male when you're straying into some of that territory that isn't really uh, isn't healthy at all so hopefully we will see something come out of that recommendation that will create something very specific in the curriculum for school certainly Scottish government are interested in it which is great um and and I think that then follows through into when you start work you know if you can almost follow you almost need a financial life journey don't you that helps you when you hit those key moments where you're making quite an important decision but you're thinking about it in the long term so you know as you start work making sure you get into the pension scheme thinking about how much you might need to save for a house if you get divorced if that's you know one of the things that hits you making sure that you don't miss out on on some of the things that you should get you know so that's definitely one of the things we're looking at you know could we actually help people on that financial life journey and think about things and before they make some really important decisions they could regret later. So Angela on the subject of life journeys what do you reckon your 16 year old self would now make of you being at the grand old age of 50? When I was 16, you know, being reaching 21 felt like, you know, an eternity away. Yeah, it, it's it's that sense that both of, um, it's like, how can something feel so short but so long? <laughs> you know, um, it, it's a very, very strange thing. But I think turning 50, I mean, again, not to be morbid again, um, does give you that sense that there's no time to waste. There's no time to waste, you know. There's no messing around here. <laughs> no time to waste, right? There's, you know, work, family, whatever it is you, you want to do. If you've still got things you want to achieve, I, I still have lots of things I want to achieve and all sorts of levels in terms of personal fitness, in terms of skills. And I'm still, you know, battling on learning Arabic. Um, you know, there's things I want to achieve in my constituency and, and in government. Um, and, and there is that sense of, you know, listen, you know, don't you be wasting my time. You know, this is about relentless forward progress, which is a book I've read about ultra marathons. Um, you know, it's a good slogan, relentless forward progress. Let's get on there. And on life events, Rachel, I mean, how have you enjoyed your 50th year? Oh, 
It's been a bowl of cherries. Oh my God. I have had been to so many parties and I've seen so many friends. And, um, you know, I, I think, well, basically, I've spent uh, my time uh, slouched over a desk looking at a computer, incredibly worried about, um, you know, the other people that I'm responsible for. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's been, in a way, it, it started off in a very stressful way. I now feel as though I've kind of, I'm coping with it. But the great thing is, is that my other friends are now turning 50. So they're joining me and they're having that horrible thing where they can't celebrate or have a party. <laughs> um, and none of us want to do Zoom calls anymore because they're so dire. Um, and um, so we, we're sort of just, I think, you know, battening down the hatches, um, all getting the vaccines coming along. And, um, you know, there's going to be one big 50th celebration for anyone that was born in 1970 or 71, I think, coming up. It could be that we, um, Jackie can come as well. She's probably too young. But, um, you know, uh, you sound like a lovely person, Jackie. You can come to our party. But we're, it's like we're going to have to have what sort of a bank holiday um, what's something for 50, for 50 yeah I'll, what, I'll buy you both a drink if my husband gives me an advance on the housekeeping <laughs> I just can I just tell you a little um funny thing about my mother actually because it's made me think whilst we've been talking is that um dad used to go off to play cricket every Sunday and um under that we had a, a cupboard under the stairs where she kept the cleaning stuff but she also thought it was a good idea to um, save little bits of cash, and she put um, she put some cash into a, a, a leather handbag. And this cupboard had the cricket kit, it had the the stashed away cash, it had the cleaning stuff. And and every Sunday she'd go into it and squirrel into this little bag to get out a crisp fiver or something like that for my dad, who that he she had to hand it over to him as if he was a sort of child being given pocket money to buy a pint after the cricket that's the way to treat men <laughs> <laughs> i just think we should all be more like jill As someone much greater than I said, a week is a very long time in politics. And believe me, I know Scottish politics is never boring. So don't leave it long. Make sure you come back and join us on Politically Speaking. And remember that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And do tell your friends because everybody has an interest in politics.